Father, may your words speak to us this afternoon. Please move our hearts to love your son, to admire your son, to worship your son. I pray, Father, that you would look on us with mercy today and feed us with the things we need. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Many years ago, when I was in high school in England, I made some friends who were part of a group called the London City Mission. And one of the things they did was to go into the heart of the city of London once a week to one of London's busiest squares to meet people and share the gospel. And I joined them a few times. And as a teenager and a Brit and someone who was young in my faith, that was a high adrenaline experience. One of those nights, while we were all scattered around Leicester Square, my friend and I were standing outside Burger King, and a group of high school girls stopped to talk with us. And they were really interested in what we had to say, and it seemed like they'd never really heard it before. So we ended up sitting down on the flagstones by the railings of the square and talking for a long time. And at one point in the conversation, one of those girls asked us one of the best questions I've ever heard. She said, what did the death of Jesus actually achieve? It's not often you get asked a question like that. It's a great question because it gets right at the puzzle of the cross. What did the death of Jesus actually achieve? How can crucifixion be a victory? Because it looks a whole lot more like defeat. But the crucifixion was a victory. In John's Gospel, the last words Jesus says on the cross are, It is finished. There in verse 30 of John chapter 19. It is finished. And in John's original Greek, that's just one word. It's a word that comes from the Greek root telos, the Greek word telos, which is a word that's very rich in meaning. It means the end, the conclusion, the fulfillment, the goal. The completion. Some of you are familiar with Greek philosophy and you know Aristotle's four causes. Telos is the Greek word that Aristotle used for his fourth category, the final cause, which he defined as the thing's reason for existence. In John's Gospel, Jesus' last word from the cross is the perfect form of the verb of telos. He cried, Tetelestai. And the perfect form describes completed action. So Jesus cried from the cross, It is accomplished. It is complete. It is fulfilled. It has met its designed end. So it's not a cry of defeat. He's not saying, It's over, or I'm finished. It's a cry of victory, of final perfect, total victory. And that leaves us asking, what is finished? What's the it? What kind of victory is won by dying? Certainly not any of the kinds of victory that the Jews expected their Messiah to win. You don't win a political campaign by dying. You don't win a war by dying. You don't rebel against the Roman Empire by dying. And if these are your measures of success, then death is a dismal failure. But Jesus had different measures of success. 
and by his measures, death meant victory. From his perspective, death on a cross was mission accomplished. So what was Jesus' mission? We know that he did a lot of things while he was here, but I think two things emerge as his life's priorities. Jesus came to earth to serve God and to save humankind. And this twofold mission was his whole life's work, but it was brought to perfect completion in his death. The cross was the place of his final victory. So first, Jesus came to serve God. Jesus came to do what no human being has ever done before or since. He came to obey God completely, to live a flawless life, to avoid sin, and to bring God glory in everything he did. This is where we all fail. We know that we've not lived a life that pleases God, but Jesus did. He was tempted just like we are, but he never sinned. He obeyed his heavenly Father all the way to the cross. And we know how hard that was for Jesus. On the way up to Jerusalem, he was really troubled and stressed. In Gethsemane, he wept bitter tears and begged for a way out. Jesus faced suffering on the deepest level. Obedience was agonizing, but he did it. It is finished, speaks to his own final victory over temptation. And on top of this, the battle had accomplished something in him. Because the book of Hebrews says that although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And that God made Jesus perfect through his suffering. In other words, the cross didn't just bless us, but it did something in Jesus too. It brought him to complete maturity and perfect fullness. And that's an encouragement to us as we walk in our own roads of suffering. Some of those roads are very long, and most of them are very hard. They can lead us to despair when we feel like our suffering is completely pointless. But when we look at Jesus' suffering, we find hope. Because he endured terrible suffering and persevered to the end. And suffering works. When we endure it patiently for God's sake, it changes us. It draws us closer to God. It makes us obedient children. Jesus came to serve God and on the cross that job was finished on earth. Mission accomplished. So first Jesus came to serve God and second Jesus came to save mankind. That's what he said. He told his disciples he'd come to do. The son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went to the cross for you and me because we were going to die. He died the death he did not deserve to die, to give us the life we don't deserve to live. The Son died as a sinner so that sinners might become sons. The Blessed One became accursed so that those under the curse might inherit a blessing. The Glorious One died in shame to bring the shameful to glory. The righteous one died as a criminal so that criminals might be made righteous. God was stricken by men so that men might not be stricken by God. And so the place of humiliating defeat became the place of glorious victory. What did the death of Jesus actually achieve? Eternal life 
for all the children of God. Jesus came to save mankind, and on that cross, the job was finished. Mission accomplished. So on the cross, Jesus finished his life's mission, but he also accomplished something even greater. One specific thing that God had been doing for centuries was finished in that moment. So do you know what the last time the Bible says something God was doing was finished is? The last time is in Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their vast array. God's first great project of human history was creation. And it's finished in one chapter of the Bible. But after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God began his second great project of human history. God set out to rescue his people from sin and death. And God's second great project was not finished when he promised Eve a son who would crush the serpent's head. It was not finished when he rescued Noah from the great flood or when he called Abraham to follow him. It was not finished when the blood of the Passover lamb saved the children of Israel or when the Red Sea parted. It was not finished when God gave his law to Moses or when the Levites offered their sacrifices. It was not finished when God came to dwell with his people in the wilderness. It was not finished when Joshua conquered the promised land or when God provided judges to protect the people. It was not finished when God established the kings and great King David brought peace to the land of Israel. It was not finished when King Solomon built the temple. It was not finished when the prophets came. It was not finished when God disciplined his people in exile or when a remnant returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. And it was not finished when God's people finally submitted themselves to his law. No, in all these things, God's great rescue mission was not finished. As we read through the Old Testament, we find that not one of its 39 books has an ending. None of them have an ending. None of them is tied up with a bow. They all end in anticipation. They all point forward to something more. There must be something more. They are like a piece of music without the last chord. So we all know that Mozart was a musical prodigy. What you might not know uh, is that he was also very lazy. And when Mozart was a boy living in his parents' house, they had tremendous trouble getting him out of bed in the morning. And after a while, his father came up with the perfect solution. He would sit down at the piano in the morning and play a piece of music, but he would stop short of playing the last chord. And young Mozart, lying in his bed, would hear the music, and it would drive him crazy. He couldn't stand that the last chord was missing, and he would jump out of bed and run downstairs so he could play the last chord and finish the piece. And that's how they got him out of bed. Legend has it. Well, the Old Testament would have driven Mozart crazy because it's like one incredibly long symphony with no last chord. It goes on and on and never resolves. But finally, as Jesus breathes his last, we hear the blessed words, it is finished. This is the last chord. The climactic finale of the work God was doing throughout the Old Testament, God's rescue mission is finished. Now we find ourselves part of God's third great project, which is his project to bring all things in heaven and on earth 
under one head, which is Jesus Christ. We need to appreciate the importance of this last chord, the accomplishment of Jesus on the cross, because it's actually a surprising chord. It's not one that anyone who'd been listening to the rest of the symphony was expecting. But nonetheless, it's a pleasing and perfect finale, one that's obviously right in hindsight. So I chose for this morning the Old Testament reading from Job chapter 5. And what this chapter does is show the danger of a symphony without the last chord. So turn back if you would in your service leaflet to page 2. I'll just close with this. These words in Job chapter 5 come from a man called Eliphaz, and he was one of Job's three friends and comforters. So Job, as you might remember, was suffering terrible torments, and he maintained that he was a righteous sufferer. But his three friends who came to comfort him were not very much comfort at all, because all through the book they maintain that that's not a category. They deny that anyone can be a righteous sufferer. Now Eliphaz was very wise by human standards, and he knew a lot of things about the world and about God. And we can see in this chapter how much of what he says is true and right and even noble. So God does do marvelous and unsearchable things. He does exalt the lowly, and it is a blessed thing to be reproved by God. But as we read this chapter on Good Friday, notice how many things Eliphaz says here are contradicted by the life of Jesus. So in verse 12, Eliphaz talks about the crafty and their plans being frustrated. But on Good Friday, the plans of the crafty for Jesus to put him to death were not frustrated. Verse 14, it was upon Jesus that darkness fell in the daytime. Verse 19, Jesus was not delivered from his troubles. And the cross did claim his life. Verse 21, Jesus was not hidden from the lash of the tongue. And verse 26, Jesus came to his grave long before a ripe old age. So Eliphaz, for all his wisdom, was missing the last chord of the symphony. And so his picture of the world was completely wrong. At the end of the book of Job, God rebukes Eliphaz and the two other friends for speaking foolishly. For Eliphaz, a righteous sufferer in God's world was an absurdity. But for God, a righteous sufferer in his world was a necessity. The cross was the essential conclusion to Jesus' task of saving humankind. And as Jesus took his last breath, he knew that that task was finished. Mission accomplished. The high school girl asked us, what did the death of Jesus actually achieve? We stood outside Burger King for a long time talking about this question, and I ended up making a deal with her. She was a lover of English literature, and she discovered that I'd never read Macbeth, and she was horrified. So we made a deal, and I promised her that I would read Shakespeare's Macbeth if she read Mark's Gospel. And I went home and I did read Macbeth, and I went back to the same place for the next several weeks, but I never saw her again. I hope she was true to her word and she did read Mark's Gospel. Because if she did, then she would have found the answer to her very good question. 
It was the death of Jesus, and only here at his cross. And this was the place where he accomplished the salvation of all the children.